Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. This week, I wanted to put a focus back on the economy. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about our economy right now, when we should reopen, how we should reopen, and I wanted to get into that just a little bit. So my guest today, he's going to talk all about that. He's going to be talking about the scene for small DC businesses and what's going to happen in the future. Today on the show, we have Brian Becker. He is the Director of Small Business Outreach for the Catholic University of America. Brian, welcome to TOTS. Ben, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about what it's like to be uh, in that position as director, um, what you do normally for that job, and then what you've been doing recently since this pandemic started. Thanks, Ben. Uh, as you know, having been through the through the system, we engage with the local business community, offer the resources of the university, and then plug students into every step along the way. So we have a couple of core programs we run on a yearly basis, including the Inner City Capital Connections Program. We're the exclusive host for DC, and we join 14 other cities in that effort, um, which is kind of a, a one-day crash course in business basics and mentoring and really... Uh, talking all the way around and through the points regarding access to capital for local business owners. Um, and then we also this year initiated a capital access expo in the spring, which was a little less of a buy-in from the, from the business owner's perspective. Um, it was kind of like a study abroad or, or uh, student employment fair where you had a bunch of different capital providers, a series of panels which ran concurrently, and we distributed jargon sheets and those kinds of things, really just trying to, to establish a common currency of language between capital providers and business owners. Um, because what we noticed is that a lot of times uh, these funders who are motivated by deal flow uh, had a hard time connecting with the best candidates to receive funding. And in many cases, the businesses themselves who could benefit were intimidated by the process or didn't know how to navigate or didn't even know where to begin or who to call um, for their specific type of funding or even what those types are. So we do a lot of these kind of general education efforts uh, in addition to having monthly gatherings for local business owners uh, on a variety of topics. It could be uh, basic business model canvassing or Porter's Five Forces or a lot of the things that we're teaching the students anyway, we make available to the local business community because by and large, a lot of folks didn't get into business to worry about these kinds of uh, strategy and, and finer points of, of, of business basics. They got into this business because they love making handbags or they loved baking cakes or making hot sauce or whatever their, their, their passion is. Um, and so we help try to supply some support for them uh, as kind of uh, objective observers and, and ad hoc advisors uh, for their businesses. And the business owners oftentimes will benefit from the, the ideas presented by the students, given their, their experience in the classroom and, and everything that they're learning at the Bush School. And then the students themselves, of course, are learning an absolute ton from the business owners themselves. Um, I've had to pinch myself a couple times when we invite in guest speakers thinking that if I had tried to predict uh, a lecture that would hit on the core tenets that, that we're trying to have our students grasp, I, I couldn't do it. Um, but because you bring in people who are, are 
living the dream, so to speak, but also understanding the, the challenges because they're, they are, they're right in the mix as business owners. Uh, it's really a, an experience that's hard to replicate otherwise. Um, so we're extremely focused on experiential learning. Um, we much like the entrepreneurs we work with, uh, we are extremely adaptable, um, and oftentimes are, are caused to pivot. Um, and in this case, uh, given what's what's facing our country right now in our, our city in D.C., uh, we've been pivoting a lot uh, as are all of our businesses and our students and everybody else that, that we interact with uh, and, and, and call partners. Sure. So what is the situation like exactly in D.C. right now for all these small business owners trying to make it through this pandemic? So DC has always been an extremely unique market. Um, I am DC born and bred. Um, I'm raising my family here. I, my favorite part about my job, in addition to all of the things I described, is the fact that I'm less than two miles from campus and on a nice sunny day like today, I, I get to ride my bike back and forth. Because of the presence of the federal government, though they're possibly my least favorite people on the planet, they are at least something that needs to be addressed when you're talking about the economy and when you're talking about small business relief and funding and, and everything else. And so I think that we, we, could, we can't think of it a, a more obvious example of how D.C. is a different place to do business than the way that the CARES Act and the PPP came through. Um, and for those that are not familiar with it, because you probably were focusing on all the 50 states with it, within which you live, D.C. got lumped together with the, uh, territories, uh, Puerto Rico and Guam and others. Um, and from the, the dollars and cents perspective, that cost the relief close to $800 million, um, despite the fact that D.C. pays federal taxes um, at, at a, a, a rate per capita, which is higher than, I think, uh, more than half the states. Um, so th there's, there, in addition to the obvious challenges facing businesses, there's, I think, a, a little bit of saltiness that goes with the fact that, you know, Washington, D.C. Is, is oftentimes lumped together in the conversation about political corruption and inactivity, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. The city itself is, is separately suffering for some of those, some of those misplaced judgments. Um, and the most obvious example of that is happening right now. That said, um, D.C. residents and D.C. business owners are, are, are a different kind of bunch. You know, they are extremely resilient. You know, most of us don't particularly care who's in office because we're not represented anyway. And we, we weather all storms. We understand that whether it's one party or another who's in control, they're probably not really looking out for D.C. anyway. And we just kind of laugh it off and wait for the, the next election to turn over and some people to come and some people to leave. But we continue living our lives. Sure. Well, that sounds really positive And it sounds like, you know, you're handling it in the best way that you can. Um, in terms of the numbers, like what are we seeing in terms of small businesses closing or filing bankruptcy or just shutting down? The numbers are all over the place, to be honest. Um, I've heard that, again, I've, um, I work most happily, I should say, in the, in the food and beverage space. Uh, their estimates are anywhere between 40 and 60% are going to close for good. Um, wow. I mean, that's catastrophic. Um, but, you know, if you, if you use that industry as an example, people still have to eat. 
And I think that though there are going to be significant voids in the marketplace, there's also going to be a race to fill those voids. You know, uh, I'm talking to a bunch of folks who, you know, may, may not have been able to afford a full commercial build out for a brick and mortar restaurant, though that was their dream. Well, guess what? Nobody, nobody can and nobody wants to right now. So if they have been operating a, a successful mobile kitchen a la food truck or catering operation, well, now might be a time to expand those efforts. Um, you know, I was talking with another company who had, was already about a, a year ago exploring fresh food vending options, which six months or a year ago, I would have said sounded to me like some kind of sci-fi, like dystopian nightmare for someone who enjoys going out <laughs> to eat as much as I do. But look, these, if we accept that things are going to change drastically, there might be a significant opportunity for these kinds of innovative ideas um, and, and, and to get behind it. So, you know, I, I think that probably the, one of the, the most effective speakers we had for our students after we converted to virtual learning and all the rest, uh, one of the, the entrepreneurs we work with who's immensely successful from the very beginning of his presentation said, look, I gathered my team and I said, the business that we had before this is dead. Deep breath. Now that that's the case, we are forming several new businesses to try to, to, to recoup revenue. He also said that within that conversation, he is making mental notes as to who is trying to help row the boat in whatever direction it takes and who is starting to look over their shoulder and, and think whether they should jump off and swim to shore themselves. Um, and I sure. think that from a, from a, an HR perspective, we're all kind of feeling those same things, right? That, you know, I think every little minor fissure in relationships has been, has been blown apart by all this, every minor annoyance that people have with their bosses or their coworkers or their significant others or their family or whatever, I think particularly for the first eight months of this crisis, <laughs> they didn't get better. I'll put it that way. Um, right. And, and now I think, you know, people really are, I, I think in terms of the stages of grief, they're, they're past the like anger and, and, and raw emotion stage. I, I really feel like now, and even with a couple of weeks ago, was where people were starting to put the pieces back together and, and really start to plan for whatever their rebirth looks like. Um, you know, maybe it is in a totally different format. Maybe it is going after one of those revenue streams that have been somewhat neglected, but it now is more relevant or, or, or something along those lines. Um, and I think that generally speaking, the business owners that I talk to are, are, are optimistic. Um, which, which might be surprising to, to folks. Um, but I guess that doesn't account for the people who, who are not engaging with us because the, they're, it, it's been completely catastrophic for them. But, you know, for the ones that we're talking to, I think there, there is cause for optimism um, if, 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 you know, their new set of assumptions start to, start to come to fruition. Sure. And with that new set of assumptions, what is there to be said about a reopening of the economy, so as people are terming it, um, and and especially in D.C., like a reopening of 
um, businesses that might have been labeled non-essential? Like, what does that mean? And, and what are they predicting for that at this point? So I, I mentioned that the, the survey is, is ending today for, for DC proper um, and that they're going to kind of aggregate that data and put together some plans. They also have working groups per industry, which I think is really smart. Um, when I filled out the survey, one, and actually on, on some of the, the discussions I've been having with, with city leadership, I said, look, the, the regulations are, totally, are one side of the equations. Uh, what what people are, are legally allowed to do is one question. Winning over consumer or changing consumer behavior is, is a totally different animal. And, and I think that sometimes where the regulations get themselves <laughs> rendered useless because they're so unpopular is when they try to mix those two things. I think that establishing the parameters that um, – ensure safety in a, in, with, with a reasonable level of assurance. But then you need to make sure that we are concentrating on messaging and making sure that people feel comfortable. And one idea that I had, and who knows if they'll take it up or not, but when you go visit other, some other states, uh, a lot of times there'll be like a, a cleanliness score in the window. So, you know, you walk up to Ben's Pizza Shop and it'll say, you know, 89 in, in, in on an eight by 11 piece of paper in the window. And then you go to, you know, Tony's pizza shop and it'll say 72. And you know, even before you walk into a place where they scored and sometimes it's, you know, a minus B plus something like that. Um, I think that something like that, that is not necessarily regulatory, but is going to, to, to help people win over, uh, their, their, they're old consumers and maybe even some new ones. Um, so, so making people feel safe, you know, cause look, at sure. the end of the day, there's the, the debate about the, the effectiveness of the gloves and the masks and the, especially the hand, the homemade masks and all this other stuff is look, it's half of that is to make people feel more safe. And I think that if, if, they can put in place some suggestions from the, the, the local government messaging side of things and work with business owners for what they're comfortable with so that people can feel more safe. I think that that's, that's helpful. You know, something as simple as, as contactless payment, you know, which a lot of businesses have adapted to um, pretty quickly uh, in the last two months, I think that, that those kinds of things, if you were to add all up the, uh, add up all your scores, and then there was a way to search by businesses who were in, in the best standing, um, in terms of, of safety measures, I think that that something like that might be effective. Um, but you know, I think that the essential versus non-essential question is playing out differently in different locales. Um, you know, to, 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 to use a, a somewhat trite example if i wanted to pick up a t-shirt like why is it that target can sell send me that or i can walk into target and buy that t-shirt but i can't walk into you know a, a shopping mall um it's it's for uh, a smaller store for that matter totally yeah um and i think what's really really interesting is i just before we got on the call i saw that newman marcus uh filed for bankruptcy today there was always there was already a huge divide between like the big, the big national brands and the mom and pop shops. 
Um, it's an oversimplification to say that the big guys got bigger and the small guys got crushed. Because if you look at the difference between, say, like a, a, a Walmart and a Target and a Safeway and a Giant or something like that versus a Bed Bath & Beyond, for instance, because the housewares industry was not deemed essential, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of kind of jockeying in there just based on, on that distinction. Um, I, but I do think that there's, there's going to be a, a, a big benefit felt by, at least in, in DC, uh, local providers. You know, it's it, the, what was already a, 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 a fairly strong movement to buy local in terms of your, your food production and even some clothing and design work and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it is going to be really enhanced by this. Um, and some of the, the most promising businesses that I'm working with are an interesting hybrid between the, the kind of hometown hero, homegrown brand, and the ones that can really have the capacity to fill massive orders. So for instance, a, a bakery that I'm working with uh, is in a lot of the kind of, uh, in the regional Whole Foods stores in a couple of the kind of smaller grocery store chains. So Mom's Organic and Yes Organic and those kinds of things. Um, and yet they've invested unbeknownst to them that, this, that the crisis was going to hit in a produ new production facility that's gonna allow them to increase their production by 10, 10 times. Now, as perhaps some other players in their market don't survive, I think that a business like that, who is still widely regarded as a local brand and a hometown hero and all these other things, can then really fill the void from a lot of the smaller players and or challenge some of the larger regional players. So, you know, maybe that is they're able to fill a void for a bakery out of, I'm just making this up, but, you know, Philadelphia or uh, Newark or something like that that isn't doing as well um, just because they do have the increased capacity now. And yet locally, they're not going to damage their brand because whether they sell a, a thousand cookies or a million cookies, they're still one of ours. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that's something that people take pride in. And there's lots of examples in terms of the breweries and stuff, too. I think that there, there's going to be, unfortunately, uh, a significant amount of consolidation. There just has to be. But right. for the ones that are able to come out the other side of this thing, you know, think, think from a talent perspective. You know, if there are, and I'm just making this up because I know how many there are in D.C., but let's say in the DMV region there are, I uh, picked 50 breweries. You know, if all of a sudden 25 of them aren't around anymore, that it means there are 25 breweries worth of head brewers and, and, and other crafts people who are now on the market and can, and could potentially make other brands stronger. Um, and that goes for other industries too, but you know, whether it's, uh, I know that there's been a lot of horse trading in kind of the, the startup space and the, and the tech space, because it was already difficult to find good talent. And now quite frankly, a lot of people are, have become available. Um, and I think that that's another way, again, not to, to, to benefit from what's happened here. Um, but I think that to view it as an opportunity as opposed to, to simply a threat. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor this week. But after that, I'm going to talk to Brian about the labeling of some businesses and jobs as non-essential and get his perspectives on those. My sponsor for this week is going to be Studio 15. They are my favorite, and again, they are right below my apartment in D.C. 
I love going down there and hanging out with them in the shop and seeing all the fantastic things that they have to offer. This week, I'm really trying to get you guys to take a look at their map prints. They are absolutely gorgeous. I have one hanging on my wall. And listen, we can't really travel right now. Not supposed to be traveling, not super safe. So why not get an image and a map print of that place that you really, really want to visit right now, your favorite place, and hang it on your wall. Let it remind you of the good times, and also let it keep you positive, because we are going to get through COVID-19, and you will be able to visit that destination again. So in the meantime, make sure you pick up one of these map prints, and let the good times roll. If you want to take a look at these prints, they are at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Juanitas. That's spelled J-U-A-N-I-T-A-S. Take a look at those. We're also offering 15% off just for TOTS listeners because I love you so much and our sponsor loves you too. So that code is stay safe. That's two words. They're separated by a space. I also would love for you guys to check out their Instagram. They're doing a bunch of updates on what they are doing during this pandemic. To stay positive, they're doing a lot of very creative things. I want you guys to check them out on Instagram. It is at Studio15Artisans. That's all together. Stay positive. Stay optimistic. Remember that we're all going to be together again soon. And get yourself a beautiful map for your wall. Thank you for listening to that message from our sponsor. Let's get back to Brian. How do you feel about the classification of certain businesses and jobs as non-essential uh, by people who are, are still benefiting from those and who are still getting paid? I, I think that the essential, non-essential discussion is relevant for months one and two of the crisis. I, I think that, that everybody was reeling. And it, it's actually kind of shocking when you take a, a, a true step back and realize that everybody was ill-prepared for this. Absolutely everybody, state government, local government, federal government, business owner, consumer, parent, child, teacher, barber, what, nobody was prepared for this. I, I have a, a, a close friend of mine who is actually in a conference in Miami the weekend before St. Patrick's Day, which for all accounts was when everything really kind of ramped up. He was in a conference about FEMA and, and disaster relief. And the person who was in charge of pandemic control was, was presenting in like a 20 minute block and gave her personal cell phone number saying, hey, it's unlikely to really be relevant, but if you need anything, call me. Oh, that's boy. how unprepared everybody was. And that's not a shot at FEMA or anybody else. It, it's, it's amazing how all of us, I mean, when I picked my kids up from school and I was like, oh, this is bullshit their their kids are out of school for two extra weeks How, what are we gonna do i mean that was six that was eight weeks ago everybody was ill prepared and so i think that the whole essential non-essential thing was something that was necessary at that at that at that moment which is look we got to some things we're gonna literally have to have and therefore we're gonna let them stay open everybody else will figure out later and, and now i think it's later um i think that Every jurisdiction, every state and local government, every small business support agency, everybody realizes 
exactly what they're up against, or at least they understand the severity of the crisis. And they know that people have to get back to work and that the economy has to get restarted. And so I think that the reopening strategies are going to be extremely interesting. And they are going to vary by state, of course, which they already have. They're already they're going to even vary within states. Um, so, I, for instance, I heard that the other day Pennsylvania is making a real distinction between different zones of the state because they have such uh, and, and Virginia, too, you know, such urban areas and rural areas. And they don't really they probably shouldn't play by the same rules with regards to this crisis. Um, so, you know, I think that understanding in, in some cases, it's not even which area you're in or which industry you're in. It's, it really boils down to your specific business. What is the person-to-person contact necessary for your business to, to operate? You know, it, 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 is it something that can be done more virtually in some, in some capacities? And what I've been advising our businesses is to think about, you know, at the very beginning of the crisis, we're like, all right, one of these days, when, at some point in the future, we're going to reopen the economy and we're all going to hang out and it's going to be great. And we, people thought that there was going to be this, like, you know, discovery of the massive light switch that finally gets flipped and we're back to work. That, that's, that's simply not true. That now it's a question of what graduated measures can take place in order to establish a greater loosening of the restrictions that we have. And I think that what I'm encouraging the business to think about is, all right, imagine a full NFL stadium or college football stadium with 80,000 plus people sitting shoulder to shoulder, screaming their brains out and spilling beers on each other. That to me is if, if we get there, that's when we can look around and say, man, those are some crazy times and it's in our rear view mirror. The other end of the spectrum is, you know, e-commerce, um, particularly in the services industry. Um, my wife runs a, a graphic design and marketing firm and she's been busier than ever because everybody is trying to handle their marketing around this. Um, where on that spectrum does your business fall? If you're closer to the NFL stadium side of things in terms of needing a volume based personal contact customers, then you're going to have to either a get super creative and figure out a different way of reaching your customers, or you're going to have to know that you're not going to be a part of stage one, two, three, or four of the reopening plan uh, in your jurisdiction. It, 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 you might be a part of phase 10, but then you might need a, a different job between now and then. And, and it, it sounds kind of harsh, but I think that that's more important to me, honestly, for each business to identify that question and answer that question, then what the politicians are up to, because it's all, it's all, you know, they're trying to do what's best for the most people, giving them the benefit of the doubt that might not include you specifically. And the ones who are, I think being more effective and, and are, are feeling better about their outlook are the ones who have been able to say, all right, I know I said a month ago, month ago that we weren't going to furlough any employees, but guess what? That was before happened. And now as of this date, you know, May the 7th, we are going to have to do this. And here's why I think that, the, that that's just the, the, the situation that, that everyone is in as a result of everything that's happened. And 
look, it, it doesn't make you a bad person to, to have to, to pivot in those kinds of ways. You know, I think that, again, if we're constantly seeking the positive, what better, what, what better time for a business to fail than during this? You know, if you're, if it, if, if your source of revenues, sources of revenue aren't there, if your customers aren't interested in your reshaped offerings, what better time to fail than now? No one's going to hold, no one's going to say you're a bad business owner because you, you got affected by this crisis. It, and I think that for a lot of businesses that were not cash positive to begin with, those are some of the recommendations that we're having. Like, look, if you, if, if back in, in, in January and February, you were having a hard time paying the bills, this isn't going to help. And unless you have a, a significant pivot in your pocket to say, all right, here's how we're going to find all those new customers. And we're going to rapidly expand into this new market or market segment. All right, I'm listening. But if you don't have that, you know, there's probably a reason why you didn't get the funding. You know, and it's it's not personal, but if you weren't on solid ground before, what makes you think you're going to be on solid ground now, much less after? Um, and I think that that's, uh, uh, again, on the positive, if for someone who's engaged with, with small business technical support, part of me loves the fact that every single business that we talk to has been forced to really drill down on their business and return to basics and make sure that they're doing things in the, the most sensible way, not just because they, they love the, the passion project that they started. What I'd tell absolutely everybody is, if this were happening to you and you alone, it would be devastating. This is happening to everybody in every industry, in every state, in every country of the world. So the people that emerge from this thing, some of them are the ones that have the cash, no doubt, but really it's going to be whoever in your industry is able to adapt and able to refill that void in the market that is going to be, that is going to be present because so many, so many of your, your contemporaries are going to fail. And a lot of times it involves some soul searching. You know, are you that entrepreneur who's willing to make these tough decisions and to make these pivots or are you going to say, you know what? I'm going to spend an extra hour a day at the park with my kids and not worry about all this because that's what's most important to me. In the end, that might be a net positive too. Sure. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for coming on TOTS. Uh, really appreciate your perspectives and let's plan to catch up again in a couple weeks and see where DC's at. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate it. That is going to do it for our episode this week. It was fantastic having Brian on I think his perspectives are really valuable, uh, and it doesn't get much better than talking to somebody who's on the front lines of the business scene right now and everything that's happening with small businesses. So thanks again, Brian, for coming on the show, and I hope to have him back on in the future, see if we can get an update on some of those small DC businesses uh, as they try to pivot and adjust and uh, really figure out where they stand right now. And thank you, my listeners, for listening every single Monday and Friday for all the episodes I've been putting out. We've really been putting a lot of effort into these and uh, I hope it shows in the quality. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope, 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 hope that you will join me on Monday for my next Tater Tot. We're going to be talking about some cool stuff. Uh, If you have any suggestions, you can send me a message and let me know. You can do that most easily by sending me an email 
Uh, my email is marketwithben at gmail.com. Go ahead and shoot me an email if you have suggestions for that or you have an idea for an episode. Or if you want to come on the show, let me know. We will feature you. So that is going to do it for this episode on this lovely Friday. Uh, Again, if you want to listen to any other episodes, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, If you want to check out our websites or our Patreon, you can go to totspodcast.com or marketwithben.com forward slash tots. Leave me a message. Listen to the episodes. I love having you guys here, and I will see you on Monday.